Welcome to the Friends of Folklore, where two sisters tell tales from the briny depths of the ocean, the darkest caves hidden in misty mountains, and even mysteries hiding in your own backyard. Fear not, dear audience. Come inside, bundle up with a blanket, a cup of tea, and your favorite fuzzy animal, and you too can become a friend of folklore. Welcome to the Friends of Folklore. It is I, Sydney, the tallest of the sisters. And it is I, Abby, the smallest of the sisters. How are you today? It is the crack of dawn, so I'm (laughs) tired. How are you doing today? (laughs) I'm so sorry. It sucks because it's 9 a.m. for me, but I do need to acknowledge that when I request an early morning recording time so I can take my ass to the beach, that maybe it's a little uh, little early for you. (laughs) That's on me. Um, no, it's okay. it's all good. It's it's my own fault because I actually got up on time, but I then crawled back into bed, thinking, Sydney. "Oh, I'll just be on my phone. It'll be fine." Mm-mm. And, I and was then wrong. You went straight narrator, back to sleep. It was not fine. I did not go back to sleep, but I'm actually I probably should have just stayed up. Yeah, no, I understand that. Like the it's like it's like the getting back into bed thing that like absolutely drives me fucking insane because it's like, I just I want to be up, but I don't want to be up. I don't yeah, want to do it. Exactly. And see, my alarm was set for 7 a.m. my time, but I definitely stayed in bed until 8 a.m., so that's on me. I'll take that yeah, out. What well, <laughs> my alarm was set for, like, 5.45, because that's what time I get up for work, so that's when I take all, like, my medicines. Uh-huh. And so I just get up and take my medicine and then go back to bed, um, which is not a good strategy. I should probably just be up. Yeah, no, I feel that. Ah, but no, no, nothing new with you. I was gonna say, do we have anything new to report? Like, is there anything going on? All I keep doing is buying books, and it is a problem, but that's about it. I've started a new diet. I'm like, I hesitate to call it a diet. I wouldn't call it that. Diet. No, I wouldn't. Yeah, I've just, I've just started eating more Mediterranean for the sake of my triglycerides. Mm, yes. Um, <laughs> and I'm enjoying it a lot, but last night we had pizza and I feel kind of gross. So. Oh, really? Do you, I mean, <laughs> yeah. does, so does that, when you eat like more Mediterranean things, does that include less carbs? Not necessarily. It just includes better carbs. So like if and you're better cheeses. pasta, yeah, exactly. So like if you're going to eat pasta, you're eating whole wheat pasta. If mm. you're going to eat bread, you're eating whole wheat bread. You know, it's not necessarily less of anything. That's what's nice about it is it's just you're just making better choices with the things you already eat. And then you eat less red meat and less like, you know, um, sausages and things like that. Mm-hmm. And more <laughs> like chicken and seafood. And I mean, right. really more seafood, but I live in a landlocked state. Yeah, so the fact that, I mean, I mean, it is a bold choice that you're making. I'm not going to lie to you. Like, I'm sure you're getting things that are just perfectly fine, but you have, you've taken a bold-ass choice. Like, you have no you water know, for I have miles. There's no water here. <laughs> yeah, so. None. Bold. Definitely <sighs> probably more poultry than some Mediterranean people eat, but. Mm. Um, oh my god, I have something to tell you about. Oh, tell me. <laughs> So if you recall, Friends of Folklore, um, if you recall, 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 if you recall Mm. our, um, our episode about, uh, Greenwood Cemetery, it's not that our episode wasn't about the cemetery, but if you recall our cemetery episode or Gravestones episode, I forget which one it was. Do you remember which one it was? I think it was called God is our Uber driver. Yeah, is God is an Uber driver. Yeah. So, 
Um, we mentioned in that one, Greenwood Cemetery, and I currently am reading a book about urban beekeepers, um, and one in particular, he lives in Man in Manhattan, and he like basically owns apiaries all over um, cool. New York State. And he's Love talking that. about it. He's like, yeah, and then I have, you know, my bees at Greenwood Cemetery. And I was like, bees? But bees? Um, so I Google it because I was like, I like it there because I had a great time when I visited. And then I was like, okay, where are the bees? And like, they don't let you see the bees, which I kind of understand, but at the same time, rude. Like, I want to see, <laughs> I want to show me the bees, you know? Show um, me the bees. Yeah. Show me the show bees. Me the <laughs> show me the bees. So, um, <laughs> so I'm on their website looking for something. And then they were like, we have a mushroom tour. And I was like, I'm, I'm sorry. What? Oh my God. And so they I do. I want to go so bad. You're so lucky. <laughs> and so basically there's like a bunch of different types of mushrooms that just grow on different parts of the cemetery. And I don't know mm-hmm. if it's due to like the age of the decomposing bodies or like, you know, land. It's like a giant ass. I mean, it's fucking gigantic. Um, oh yeah, it's huge. But it's it's enough types of mushrooms to have a full on tour dedicated to it. Um, So my good friend Nathan and I will be <laughs> attending said mushroom tour. When is it? Um, it's So there's, there's a summer one, but we've opted for the fall a mushroom oh, tour, you know, um, yeah, so in like yeah, the middle yeah. of September. So I will report back. Oh, please tell me the about moment the I can. Caps. Exactly. I'm so excited. Well, and what's that's the name awesome. of the one that's like the stereotypical mushroom? Because they they mention that they have a lot of those. Fly agaric. Yeah. So they have a ton also of those. the amanita something. Yeah, that one. Um, yeah. The red one. <laughs> yes, with the spots, of course. Exactly. So, you know, speaking and speaking of mushrooms, um, I'm just going to go ahead and jump right on into it because my intro paragraph talks about mushrooms. So unless you have anything else to say to me. Yeah, I don't think so. Go ahead. Okay, great. So if you recall, um, we talked about mushrooms. You were there. Um, And the great lore. (laughs) Yeah, you were there. Um, So I thought what pairs well with mushrooms? And I figured the best side dish to mushrooms is nothing other than gnomes. You know, real quick, I'm sorry, I'm going to interrupt you already. Yeah. But last week, um, we did our mushroom episode. That's that's why this is relevant. Mm-hmm. And uh, I talked about how I hated mushrooms and how oh, I yeah. didn't want you to eat them. So um, in this Mediterranean diet, we've started eating more, like, plant-based things. And my husband got us some mushrooms, and he made this, like, mushroom ramen with, like, brown rice ramen noodles, and it was fucking delicious, so I stand aggressively corrected. Oh, do you? Do you? Have you realized the error of your ways? (laughs) I have realized the error of my ways. Mushrooms are very tasty, and I'd like to, uh, this is our our very first public apology. Stop, shut up. No. (laughs) This actually actually isn't an episode. Um, It's a YouTube apology video. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) exactly that's what i was trying to say i was like i don't i can't remember what youtube is no yeah influencer apology video no of course exactly we are we don't actually apologize we just gaslight all of you yeah it's gonna be super yeah right exactly exactly in my defense in my defense um um, i've always been terrible so i didn't realize i could in my defense i've always been a bad person you just know it now yeah Um, like it's just more obvious now (laughs) and i'm gonna become an uh, mma fighter yeah, um, you should, honestly. Or, you know, I really yeah. should. I really should. My anyway, God. sorry. No, please quite continue. all right. So, no, something that I didn't realize um, beforehand, but go, like while going into research, is that gnomes and garden gnomes actually have their own 
like respective history. Like they kind of stem from the same thing, but garden gnomes kind of like take a left. So I will okay. be touching on both. Before we get into what is and what is not a gnome, we have to spend some time with Periclesis. And I'm not of sure course. that that's how you say his name. It's P-A-R-A-C-E-E-L-S-U-S. Periclesis. Yeah, Periclesis, definitely. Yeah, my man's very Greek. Lots of Greek Greek names, like Greek. <laughs> um, and they're great. You know, like, but like, like, you know, a lot of yes is, what is it from her? A lot of yeses. Um, a lot so of yeses. Periclesis was mm-hmm. a Swiss physician, alchemist, theologian, and philosopher during the German Renaissance, which means that he lived during the 16th century. Um, I didn't realize that the Italian Renaissance and the German Renaissance happened at roughly the same time. Um, I mean, that makes sense. But the uh, the Italian Renaissance influenced the German Renaissance, which makes sense. Um, yeah, right so basically, we know that he was born in 1493, and we know okay. his death day, which I always kind of find interesting because I think it's... I think it's so odd that we have, like, a general, like, death. We either have, like, a general birth or general death, but always the, like, the other one is always, like, clear. Like, he's, like, 1493. Oh, like, we know for sure when one happened, but not necessarily the other. Yeah, and I find that very, well, very have, interesting. Like, birth records back then. And I guess it makes more sense to know when someone died rather than when someone, you know, was born. Yeah, because, like, you know, especially if it was somebody famous or somebody who was, like, really influential. I mean... When you think about it, I don't know if you, I'm sure you know this, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Please. Um, our great-grandmother didn't have a social security number, so when she married our great-grandfather, they gave her his social security number with a B at the end of it. Oh my god. Are you talking about granny? Did you know that? No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, that woman was born in like 1912. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, yeah, exactly. Sure. But that's what I'm saying. She like, won't they, even tell She would never tell recently, us. Yeah, she would never tell us. I don't think she knew for sure herself. But that's fair. <laughs> The point I'm trying to make, though, is that, like, as recently as the turn of the last century, birth records were not a very distinctive thing. So it makes a lot of sense that they're like, who knows? He was a peasant back then. We didn't give a shit. Yeah, exactly. But that's the thing is that we know that he was born in 1493, but we know that he died on September 25th, 1541, in Salzburg Archbishopric of Salzburg, which is uh, present-day Austria, for those of you playing the home game. Nice. Um, now, my man Periclesis did it all. He is considered to be a pioneer of the medical revolution that, ter- that took place within the Renaissance era. He was considered mm-hmm. to be incredibly wise for his time and was even referred to as the father of tox- toxology. Is that how you say it? Toxicology. Oh, yeah, yeah. In yeah. some texts. Um, so here's what I find incredibly interesting about, about per- Periclesis is that, as we all know, the religious uprising that occurred during the Renaissance... Um, and Periclesis, he was no exception to this, like, you know, refound religion uprising, right? However, mm-hmm. he was in, in fact, he was an avid believer in God and the Bible. However, which I find, I just, like, I, I had never seen this in, like, this kind of time period of philosopher before, and perhaps that's my own thing, but, like, normally they're either, like, religion or no religion. However, right. Periclesis believed that to understand Christ and to truly appreciate the Bible, one must understand the workings and become knowledgeable in the topic of the natural world. And of course, this is where his novel and our lovely gnomes come into play. So Periclesis wrote a book titled A Book on Nymphs, Sylphs, Pygmies, and Salamanders, and on Other Spirits. 
He wrote mm-hmm. this um, novel near the end of his life, and it was actually post um, published posthumously. Is that how you say that? After he died. Posthumously. Posthumously yeah. around 1541. So it pretty, like, the year he died, they were like, oh, yeah. And they were like, they found it amongst his things. And they Basically. Were like, Cha-ching. Um. Seria- well, <laughs> seriously, though. So the basis of yeah. this novel is the world is full of, like, strange and magical things that fall into one of four categories. So the first are nymphs, which he associated with the element of water. I knew I knew his, I knew I knew this name. Right? Okay. Yeah. No, you're going to, the rest of the episode, you're going to be like. So we're talking about, like, elementalism and, okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. You and I are going to have a conversation because this is very pertinent to a book I'm writing. Carry on. I I know it is. Um, Oh, shit. So (laughs) first being nymphs, which he associates with the element of water. As we know, nymphs stem from the Greek mythology. And also, Mm -hmm. and although they can be associated with other types of elementals, i.e. forest nymphs, you know, tree, like, you know, different types of nymphs. Right, 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 right. They're typically tied to bodies of water. Um, And so I think that's where he got kind of that basis for them. Oh, okay, Um, cool. The second is a sylph or sylphid. And I'm not 110% sure I'm saying that correctly, but it's S-Y-L-P-H, sylph. Um, That's how I say it. And that's what he associated. And he associated this creature with the element of air. And actually, it's kind of interesting. The other creatures, like the other three are from greek mythology this is the one that they kind of believe he just came up with right um, he was just like i need another element basically and so basically they are invisible creatures that move through the air so you know pretty uh straightforward like fairies yeah um i'm gonna jump out of order real quick for dramatic effect so the third sure, um, sure, instead sure, sure, sure. is salamanders <laughs> Uh, which he associated with the element of fire. Now, this is a little odd because salamanders are amphibians, so you would think, you know, water. Um, however, creatures at the time were synonymously titled with lizards and creatures of right. the like. So basically, got it, got it, these creatures in classical lore and Greek mythology are noted to be able to live in active bouts of fire. Or, sure. yeah, they're like, they just, like, they can hang out in, in active fire. And they're like, look at that little lizard. Like, look at him hang out. Like um, the like the lizard like the lizard baby in um, Frozen Two. That's exactly literally him. That's what I thought of the entire time. I was like, so basically yeah, the <laughs> salamander from Frozen Two. Um, or so they cute. believe that they are so cold that they can extinguish fire. So basically, oh, okay. like they're just like the god of fire, but not really. Cool, cool, cool. cool. And then the fourth and now final is pygmy which is associated with the element earth. Now, these creatures stem from Greek mythology once more. Pygmies stem from the adverb pyx, meaning with the fist. Um, And so they are told within Greek mythology as being a tribe of diminutive. Is that okay to say? I don't know. I don't know that. Diminutive means like they're using it to describe them as small. Okay, um, I think you can probably just say small if you're not sure. Yeah, so there, um, I know, like, I googled it, and, like, it's, it is it is an insult, but it is not, like, a slur. That's what okay. the internet said. <laughs> I could be wrong. Um, yeah. But they are told in Greek mythology as being a tribe of diminutive humans. And so I, oh, okay. I, oh look at me. Diminutive meaning ex- extremely or unusually small. Um, these oh, humans gotcha. actually appear in the Iliad as well as works of Aristotle. Aristotle. Aristotle, his no, lesser known brother. <laughs> no, because it's Aristotle and Hesoid, and I wrote and I just I said understand. Hesoid, Hesoid, Aristotle and Hesoid. Mm-hmm. 
And now that we have all of that history out of the way, it becomes quite obvious that gnomes fall into the pygmy category. Um, Gnomes are defined as a small humanoid creature that live underground. The word gnome is speculated to be one of Pericles' own creation because it's a play on the Latin word nominos or gominos. I don't know if you you pronounce the G or not. Nominos. um, Meaning earth dweller. Pericles would also refer to these creatures as nomi as in a synonym for pygmy. So it's kind of like earth dwellers, but they're small. Okay, okay. Other than those regular sized earth dwellers. Exactly. And even though Pericles started the fire, he is not the only person to have created a gnome adjacent creature in folklore. Um, Clearly, there is a basis in Greek mythology with the earth dwelling creature. This creature Mm -hmm. is used in mythology when talking about kithonic, which means in or under, in under or beneath the earth. So like hell, Um, especially the underworld. Subterranean. Oh, okay. Okay, okay, okay. So these creatures stem from that area of the earth. Um, These creatures were known to guard mines as well as hidden treasures under the earth, which if you have prior knowledge of gnomes, that might be pretty familiar with like this characteristic. Sure. Of like them being protectors. There's Mm -hmm. another Greek mythological creature that is often associated with gnomes and those are dactyls. Um, Pterodactyls? Like, yeah, it's literally, like, the ha- the second portion of the word pterodactyl. Dactyl. Oh, okay. I wonder if that's related. You know what? I didn't, uh, did not search the base of that word. Oh, sorry. Didn't that's on me. How dare you? Don't, don't expose me. Sorry. <laughs> the dactyls are known as a race of male beings that work for the Great Mother. They're known as being, um, ten spirit men who would interchange and, like, act as one being. So kind of think, um... Kind of like Steven Universe. <laughs> okay. <laughs> when gems would like combine and like use different aspects of one another's powers. Obviously they don't combine, but like each person had a different right. purpose. I gotcha. And this is also paralleled with creatures like Corybantes. Is that how you say it? There's a whole lot of fun words no today. Corybantes, um, which are known for, known as a group of armed dancers that defend the goddess Cybele. So dactyls are like this small group of powerful creatures that, yeah, act as one. And very often in, oh man, I did look up this word, Hephaestus. Hephaestus. Hephaestus, the god of blacksmithing. Um, I'm a fan. Yeah, big fan. Right. How could you not be a city? He's like, no, I'm I'm familiar with his work. I'm familiar. (laughs) He would teach dactyls and these creatures metalworking, mathematics, and the Greek alphabet, and then they would go and teach the people. Ah, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. So I find it very interesting, because as we jump forward in history, um, we're going to find that gnomes or small creatures of the like work hard but don't really like people. That's something that's kind of been adapted. So it's very interesting to see their basis as being creatures that, you know, help. Yeah, help and teach. Um, First grade teachers. Yeah. So basically, um, gnomes appear in several different types of like work. They're not really gnomes, mm-hmm. but same kind of time period. So the okay. first is a 16, 1670 French satire piece, Come de Gabales. I think I'm pronouncing okay. that more like it's a Spanish word, but that's fine. Um, <laughs> which describes gnomes as the following, quote, The earth is filled almost to the center with fairies, and it's P-H-A-R-Y-E-S. 
a people of small stature, the guardians of treasure, of mines, and of precious stones. They are ingenious, friends of men, and easy to be commanded. They furnish the children of sages with as much money as they may need, and never ask of any other reward of their service than the glory of being commanded. The... Uh, <laughs> I know. <laughs> Holy imperialism, Batman. Yeah. So the gnomes or wives of these... The nomids or wives of these fairies are little but very handsome and their habit marvelously curious. Okay. So I, I kind of find this odd because this gives me more of like a leprechaun vibe. I don't know about you. It makes me think of house elves. Yeah, it gives me like... Yeah, like a house elf vibe rather than a Yeah, gnome. like, oh, they love to be. Like, no, fuck you. No, they don't. No, yeah, they actually, don't. they don't. No, they don't. <laughs> Leave gnomes alone. Yeah. And I think it's odd because if we base this off of dactyls, it kind of makes more sense. Where, like, they're sure. given, like, a purpose. But I never look at gnomes and think, oh, yes, caretakers who love to serve. It's almost like they're representing the stereotype for, like, an old-timey housewife who couldn't want right. possibly anything else other than to provide. I mean, how could exactly. you want anything more? How could you possibly want anything more than to pump out children and have zero orgasms? <laughs> Honestly, I can't figure it out. So <laughs> this trend continues when gnomes are mentioned in poet Alexander Pope, Pope's work, mm-hmm. The Rape of the Lock. In my research, I found that Alexander Pope was also a satirical writer, but I'm not sure what that means for 18th century. Um, like, obviously, it's satire is satire. But, right. like, so I don't know if these people are being serious. Not really. I think it's, so, it's, it's, it's too early for me to explain. <laughs> um, and I'm not sure I could do it justice anyway, but I think that you can assume they are not being serious. Okay, so then maybe we can let them off with this. But, um, yeah. The um, Pope describes gnomes as, quote, celestial creatures which were prudish women in their past lives and now spend all of attorney looking out for other prudish women. And I kind of dig that, to be completely honest. Like, just a group of women who don't want to sleep with men. Um, I mean, yeah, I feel like that's that's very, like, Diana slash Artemis, you know? Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely getting some bestie vibes here. Um, oh, yeah, like Sappho and besties. her friend vibes. Yeah, just, yeah, exactly. Just a couple Sappho of gals being pals. Just a, just a couple of gals being pals. Um, <laughs> so during the 18th and 19th century, gnomes were also synonymously used for the term goblins. Um, oh, okay. So I'm not sure if the romanticism of this like really painted them in a good or bad light. And it does sure. seem to differ on each work. As of the 20th century, um, goblin, leprechauns, and other instances of, like, quote-unquote, like, this spirit um, mm-hmm. loses its strict association with the earth or the underground world. So okay. it kind of, yeah, it, it kind of, lately, it kind of removes that sort of, like, underground creature. Um, <laughs> and to this day, gnomes are used in a great deal of fantasy literature, um, things like in Tolkien's world. Gnomes are yes. the initial and later dropped name of the Noldor, which are the most gifted and technologically minded of the of his elfish races. Um, cool. Noldor are defined as those with knowledge, so it seems pretty on hot par with like history because they obviously teach. Um, in the actual world of Tolkien, what he ended up producing, gnomes like the quote unquote gnome gnomes, are generally. Mm-hmm. Tall, beautiful, dark-haired, light-skinned, immortal, and typically wise, but suffer from um, pride, tends towards violence, 
um, and have a very like obsession with working with their own hands and gemstones. So it kind of gives you like more of a minor feel. So is that like not the same thing as the dwarves? Because I feel like that sounds a lot like the dwarves. Mm -mm. Apparently not. Okay. Okay. I could be wrong about this. I've never read. a complex fellow. I have read. Um, I've read the first half of the first Lord of the Rings, and then I got distracted by gothic fiction, as I always do. Yeah, you know what? That does sound like your personality. It's my um, In C.S. Lewis's The Chronicles of Narnia, gnome-like creatures are referred to as Earthmen um, that live in the Underland. Unlike Tolkien, the creatures are referred to as being different shades of skin color. Um, however, I do wonder if this is on purpose, um, due to the oh, fact like- that gnomes are used by slate are used as slaves by the character lady of the green kirtle and i don't know who that is i've never read the i've I've never never, i've really never read c.s lewis well and i've I've, i have through prince caspian but i don't know who that is but basically they're slaves under her rule until her defeat and then they return home um so basically gnomes are synonymous with enslaved people um find both of these interpretations as I mentioned above, interesting, since Tolkien and Lewis were considered friends, they worked at Oxford together, so they might not have been BFF, but I do think it's interesting how two closely related men can have such different opinions. Oh, they were actually very good friends. Were they? Okay, I knew that they both worked yeah. at Oxford, but I was I didn't want to, like, you know, call them besties if they weren't. No, um, they, they were. It was, like, um, them, the two of them, and another writer named Charles Williams, who actually, like, died when unexpectedly when they were all really young. Mm-hmm. And if you want to cry, you can look up um, the writings C.S. Lewis did, like, when he was mourning his friend. And um. he, I'm, this is completely off topic. But he has this really great line where he basically says, like, so so he called Tolkien Ronald. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's one of his middle names. Yeah, the R, and he ta- Yeah, and he, one of them. And he talks about how um, without, you know, he'll ne- he talked about how he'll never again see his friend Ronald um, light up and laugh at a particularly Charles joke. And now that he has Ronald to himself, he actually has less of Ronald. Oh my God. Like it was, I, I was very moved. Sorry. Oh no, it's quite all right. Stop crying. I can't. Sorry, all of my animals are with me. Well, I can, I can see it on the audio. Oh, can you? (laughs) Yeah. Um, No, it's quite all right. So in um, Gilderoy Lockhart's Harry Potter, um, mm-hmm. Gnomes are described as pests that inhabit the gardens of witches and wizards. They are small creatures with heads that look like potatoes on stubby little bodies. That's a quote. Gnomes are generally <laughs> considered harmless but mischievous and may bite with sharp teeth. Um, in the books, it is stated that the Weasleys are lenient to the gnomes and tolerate their presence, preferring to throw them out of the garden rather than more extreme measures. And if you've ever played the PS2 version, I was about to bring um, this up. <laughs> it's so hard. <laughs> It's like the beginning of the game. Before it's you can so even go hard. to Hogwarts, you have to like get rid of the gnomes in the yard at the you burrow. You can't even go to Hogwarts until you do it. It's so difficult. It's incredibly difficult. Did you um, call it Gilderoy Lockhart's Harry Potter? Yes, I said what I said. Okay, cool, cool, cool. cool it's Gilderoy respect. Lockhart's Harry Potter. Okay. I can't imagine okay. anyone else wrote it, can you? No, I sure can't. No, no. <laughs> Now that you mention it. Now that I mention it, I don't think anyone else ever wrote those. Anyway. Um, Terry Pratchett describes gnomes as being, quote, six inches in height, but quite strong, often inflicting pain upon anyone underestimating them, end quote. 
In the fantasy role-playing game Dungeons and Dragons, gnomes are one of yes. the main races you can create characters from, and they are described as being, quote, closely related to dwarves. However, gnomes are more tolerant of other races and of magic and are skilled with illusions. Gnomes are, are end quote. Gnomes mm-hmm. are small humanoids standing to about three to three and a half feet. And um, as you all know, when I play Dungeons and Dragons, I play as a bar- barbaric gnome called Ad- Admiral Bobbery Brugmel, and I love him dearly. Um, <laughs> when I, um, we used to play this long standing game with our friends Kirk and Caitlin. Hi, Caitlin. Um, and Caitlin plays as a gnome named Toulouse Goose. <laughs> and God, her character, <laughs> she's been cursed by a witch to always be, I think it's shorter than the table, but taller than the chair. That's hysterical. <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> Sorry, um, go on. No, you're quite all right. And I know, and just to note this, Friends of Folklore, I know that I normally include fun facts at the end of an episode. I'm not done. Um, however, there is still something we must address, and that is the folklore and history of the garden gnome. So garden gnomes these days are considered to be one of the most common garden decorations, and it's kind of assumed um, that you either love them or think they're absolutely ugly and cannot stand them. If you have to guess what side of this you're, we're on, what, where have you been the last 30 minutes? Mm-hmm. Um, clearly, the garden gnome is defined as being a small ornamental figure of various sizes that can describe that describe the mythological humanoid race of gnomes. However... The origin of garden gnomes comes from ancient Greece. So before they were the depiction of what we know and love today, garden gnomes were in fact depictions of different gods, but like small versions of them. Yeah. Um, So they were, yeah. And so basically the most famous um, of these is the god Priapus. Uh Uh-huh. So Priapus was not only the protector of livestock, but he's also the god of fertility. So he would create, so people would create, so Priapus was not only the protector of livestock, he was also the god of fertility. So when, when you would create one of these gnome-like creatures, you would create it of Priapus, and you would put mm-hmm. it in your yard for a rich and fruitful harvest. However, uh-huh. Uh-huh. it gets less wholesome. It should be noted oh, no. that, what? I said, oh no. <laughs> oh, I thought you said, I know. And I was like, how do you already know? I know that. Um, I have a garden gnome, I'm concerned. No, it's is it no, Mace just going to hurt me. No, it's just Priapus. Um, Priapus is always, and I do mean always, depicted with a giant erect penis. Sure. Um, because because of the how fertility can, thing. Yeah, how can you be a god of fertility if one does not have a godlike dick? So basically, these gnomes would be small little depictions of Priapus with giant mm-hmm. schlongs. <laughs> Oh my lord. Just a long ass penis attached to them. Um, However, when the Renaissance. Hi, mom. Hi, mom. mom. So good to see you here. Um, When. (laughs) However, when the Renaissance rolls around, the last thing we can have in the religious world is, of course, you guessed it, giant dicks. There is no room for giant penises in the German Renaissance. And you heard it here first. So basically, (laughs) they were slightly altered. In appearance, um, sure. you know, to fit that religious ideal. Instead, they became ornaments of for wealthy families of, like, more wealth, basically. Like, they couldn't get, you know, more wealth for the wealthy, basically. Sure. Um, and um, basically, and, you know, this was, th- they became introduced into wealthy homes when Pericles kind of named them as gnomes. So that kind of happened around the same time. 
Um, it really sense. kind of took off. Now, how do we get from really large penis gnomes to the gnomes we love and know and love today? Um, it is speculated that the iconic red hat gnome was made by I a German gonna... sculptor. Mm-hmm. Yes. No, nope, I'll wait. Okay. The iconic red hat gnome was made by a German sculptor named Philip Griebel. Um, his gnome caught trend and it spread across Europe. Um, apparently he made his living off of producing these gnomes. So he really jumped on the gnome band- bandwagon. Um, sure. And he kind of created oldest... the gnome bandwagon, it sounds like. He, yeah, he really did. Um, and the mm-hmm. oldest gnome still alive, <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> gnomes living among us. Um, right. Is actually one of Griebel's gnomes. So um, oh. a man named Sir Charles Isham um, in the, I wrote, 29th century. I don't think mm. that's happened yet. The 19th century. <laughs> purchased some of these gnomes for his garden. So he was in Germany. He purchased the gnomes and he goes home. And his right. daughter hates them. She thinks that they're ugly. She thinks that they're creepy. And he puts them all over his estate. Like, he's super excited. He puts them all over his gardens. And she comes home and she's like, not this. Um, so she <laughs> removes them. However... Okay. And this wasn't found until years, years later. Um, he hid one of them. Sure. And As you do when your daughter's not letting you live your life. Yeah, if your daughter's not letting you keep gnomes, you hide them, obviously. Yeah, um, obviously. It's 3 p.m. Do you know where your parents hiding gnomes are? So, <laughs> this gnome is known as Lampy, and he is the oldest oh. garden gnome in the world. I have to look him up. He's very small, and he has a... Yeah, he, go ahead, look him up, Lampy. Lampy, L-A-M-P-Y. P-Y. Oh, that is so cute. Hold on. Oh my god, I love him. Isn't any small. Like, I can see how that would be hidden in an estate for Lord knows how long. Oh yeah, Um, I'd hide him too. Oh, these are kind of terrifying. I'm seeing other ones though. They're a little frightening. Oh Um, no, no thank you. (laughs) Garden gnomes popped up again in um, 1976 because there was a very um, successful book entitled Gnomes by Rian Portvilt and Will Hyun. Um, Detailed for the biologist's state of mind, this book illuminates like the life of the gnome, shedding Mm -hmm. knowledge about, and this is an excerpt by the way, shedding knowledge about gnome herbal medicines, love lives, architecture, and education. According to the book. Juliet. I've seen it. Sydney. <laughs> of course, the biblical see... Romeo and Juliet. Of course. Actually, I didn't see Sherlock Gnomes. I don't know if you did. I did not. Okay. Sydney. We'll turn that together. <laughs> also, why did Elton John go so hard? Why Listen, did he... Elton John only knows how to go hard. Why? And I respect well, that. Like, and I, I like, look, and I get it. Like, El Dorado, sure. Totally yeah. understand. But Romeo and Juliet? Listen, when you're a professional, <laughs> I wouldn't expect you to. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I wouldn't expect you. Shut up. <laughs> I wouldn't expect you to understand the professional world, Abigail. But when you're Abigail an artist, <laughs> you do. The show must go on. Um, also, when you said when you're a professional, I thought that when you're a professional pirate, you don't have to wear a suit. Oh, you don't um, have to wear a suit. So, according to the book, gnomes are seven times stronger than humans. They live sure. to be around 400 years old, and they rub their noses in greeting and goodbye. Oh. Um, the book even details popular gnome honeymoon destinations. Yeah. And um, 
That is the folklore of gnomes. <laughs> okay, so what was he smoking? I don't know, but, like, I definitely want some. I know, like... <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. That's that's what I, I got. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Oh, my God. <laughs> that is... I always thought they were Norse for some reason. I know, and I was really surprised when they were, like, Greek. And, I mean, that makes sense. It kind of makes sense. I everything can get behind it. is everything not Greek mythology when you really sit down and think about it. I mean, most of the stuff in Roman mythology definitely is. Oh yeah, no, for sure, uh, for sure, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, they have like one original thing in the entire Roman pantheon. There is not one original thought that you and I have ever had. So I can imagine that that yeah. was the same thing for them then. <laughs> <laughs> Who so could have Abby, an original thought? Yes. What did we learn here today? Um, that gnomes used to have giant dicks. Yeah, yeah. I think that, I mean, that's what I, what did you learn, you know? You know, I definitely learned um, about, I want to start like rubbing my nose to say hello to people, but that's not very COVID safe. It's not COVID. No, 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 no. No, um, no. I've learned that Nomeo and Juliet's going to haunt us for the rest of our lives. Um, <laughs> Was that Emily Blunt and like James McAvoy? Oh, dear Lord. I think... I'm oh, look no. This up. Hold on. Oh, Hold don't on. they both have, like, Oscars? Oh, my God. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not, like... <laughs> I probably shouldn't say that on the podcast. What? I'm not that idiot you used to date, so I don't have, like, an encyclopedic ah! of the Academy Awards. <laughs> um... <laughs> I'm a savage. It is James McAvoy and Emily Blunt. I've only seen this once. I don't know why. I, I watched know. it a lot. I definitely used, like, I, I, you know how, like, I hyperfixate and watch, like, movies, over, like, a comfort oh, yeah. movie? It was a comfort movie for a while. Um, that doesn't Dude, make Jason it okay. Jason Statham was Tybalt? What in the world? Who? Jason Statham. Dear Lord, what is this cast? And Who Maggie Smith is in it, too? Uh, no, she is not. Get away from yes, me. she is. Who yes, is she? she? Is. is she the frog? Michael Caine? What is Ozzy Osbourne? Patrick uh, no. Stewart? No, no, no. no Hulk Hogan? I'm Dolly Parton. Dolly. I'm sorry. I am being 100% serious. These the are Dolly all actors in Nomeo and Juliet. She plays someone named Dolly Gnome, so I'm guessing she's mostly playing. Oh, herself. she probably plays herself, yeah. Well, that makes sense. Okay, that, that all allow. Um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. Wow. I know. A lot to unpack. These actors. A lot to unpack here. A lot to unpack here. A lot here. to unpack here. Anyway, um, what media are you consuming? Well, I guess now Romeo and Juliet. Um, <laughs> yeah, I guess now, right? Sherlock Holmes. No, just that B book, honestly. It's really good. It's amazing. Oh, good. Um, and that's, yeah, I don't know. I'm like right between like, you know, semesters right now. So I'm just kind of in a vegetative state, so to speak. Um, totally, totally. What about you? Uh, I just finished reading this book called The House Between Tides, and I really, really, really enjoyed it up until, like, the last couple of pages where, I don't want to spoil anything, but she just, like, it's, like, one line where she just undoes all of her hard work. Mm -hmm. You know already. I um, do. You know, it makes me, it because I, I, I just, uh, I just started doing, uh, watching The Twilights. So I've never oh, yes, read yes, yes. or seen the Twilight movies before, Friends of Folklore. Um, however, I uh, gave in, finally, to a friend because uh, she wanted to watch mm -hmm. them. And <laughs> there's a line in the third one with Jasper. And if you're not aware who Jasper is, it's probably fine. 
Um, but he's a vampire. He plays Sokka in the, uh... Shut up! Ja- he no. does. Oh my god, it's Sokka! Oh my god. Uh-huh. Battlestars. Um, uh... so, it's kind of like when they're talking about his history, and she talks about how he was a confederate soldier, and it's like, you could have made him union. Would have changed nothing. I know. It would have changed nothing, Stephanie. You could have made him it union. It wouldn't hurt you. Wouldn't yeah, hurt you. If you want the Civil War moment, soldier. cool, have that. But you could have made him union. You didn't, yeah. you didn't... We didn't have to go this way. We didn't we have didn't, to do this. We didn't have to do this. And that's how I feel <laughs> about the to ending this. to that book where you're like, we didn't have to do this. There yeah, was another exactly. option. There were more there than one option. option. Uh, so you oh don't know goodness. anything about the next one? The fourth one? Yeah. No, I know that they get married and that she turns into a vampire. I mean, spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> and that um, you... Jacob imprints on her child and yeah, names who, her who after the resume. Loch Ness Monster. Yeah, Resume. <laughs> resume. <laughs> I stole that joke from a TikTok. It's not mine. No, I understand. Um, <laughs> yeah, and their daughter resume. Um, my daughter resume. Speaking um, of things that are kind of bad and toxic, I uh, I've been rewatching Friends. Oh God. <laughs> and listen, like it it it's okay, but there mm-hmm. is so much internalized homophobia. Oh and yeah. So much like mis- just like I wonder. You know, this is like the show of a generation, mm-hmm. right? So I'm like, is this, wh- who is the chicken and who is the egg? Yeah, honest to God. No, I get that. Are, are people this day and age so fucking homophobic because they all grew up watching Friends? Or is Friends so fucking homophobic because society is homophobic? Like, they, like the two, none of the men can have any emotions without someone being like, wow, you guys are gay. Yeah, no, literally not one. Like, not, not one, one emotion. It's like, I, I fucking fast forward through so much. I mean, it's also it's the fact that you've chosen to watch it. I think the I think that I don't think I can ever rewatch Friends or How I Met Your Mother ever again for that exact I know, reason. I and yeah, it's not because it, I mean it was a giant comfort show. Both of them were, but I think that like mentally, yeah, I, 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 I don't think I I don't I think I've moved past that. Yeah, it's taking its toll on me. I'm gonna no, I and gonna now stop. you've committed. So like yeah, no, you not nah, gonna I'm finish gonna it. Stop. No, are you? So. What season nah, are you I'm in? I'm gonna stop. I don't want, I'm not going to tell you on the podcast. I'll tell you later. Because <laughs> if it's after Rage, if it's after Monica and Chandler get together, it, it's fucking boring after that. That it is after that. And I agree. Yeah, with you I'd completely. stop. Then I think yeah, it's fine to stop. stop. And on that note, stop. Stop. where can on they find note, us? Um, you can. <laughs> you can find us by searching the front. Ugh, you know, I fuck this up every time. And like, I know where you can find us, but I'm always like surprised when you ask me, like, I shouldn't be expecting this. Yeah. Like, you not like you time. do this every other episode. <laughs> not, not like that's how we do this. <laughs> like I do the episode, you do the where to find us and then vice versa. I know every time I'm always like, how can you ask me that question? How could you I'm ask so me something? I'm just so on the spot right now. Like, I'm um, so uncomfortable. Just, I don't I know where to find you. us. Okay. I don't know. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> You can find us on all social media by searching Friends of Folklore. That's f- Friends of Folklore. Good God. Okay, I'm going to try one more time. One more time. Whew. One more time with feeling. All right. Okay. Shake it out. Shake it out. All right. You can find us on social media by searching Friends of Folklore. That's Friends of Folklore without the R-E. Or you can search Friends of Folklore and you'll find us there too. If you'd like to send an email complaining or with recipes, or with corrections, or suggestions, or if you want to come with us to Zozobra. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you can Stop. send us an email at... <laughs> you 
can send us an email at thefriendsoffolklore at gmail.com. Please like, subscribe, share with friends you don't like. Subject yeah, um, your friends to us. My dog is crying, so obviously he's upset about this, too. Yeah. Um, and thanks for being a friend of folklore. Bye-bye. Bye.